Welcome to the July 28th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we review a novel approach to generating autologous CD7-specific CAR T-cell therapy for patients with T-cell malignancies that overcomes a key limitation, target-driven fratricide. We'll also learn about new research pinpointing a key subset of exhausted CD4-positive T-cells in BALL, which also provides a rationale for combining tyrosine kinase inhibitors and pdl one blockers to reverse exhaustion and enhance leukemia clearance. Finally, we'll discuss studies in a mouse model of acute ischemic stroke, showing that inhibiting phosphorylation of a tight junction protein in endothelial cells reduces risk of intracranial hemorrhage after treatment with recombinant tissue plasminogen activator. Let's start with the research article entitled Naturally Selected CD7 CAR-T Therapy Without Genetic Manipulations for TALL and LBL first in-human phase one clinical trial. And the first author is Pei-Hua Lu of Hobei Yandalu Daopei Hospital in Hobei, China. While CAR T-cell therapy has been revolutionary in the treatment of B-cell malignancies, development has lagged behind in T-cell malignancies. In part, this is due to shared antigen expression between normal and malignant T-cells. Case in point is CD7. The transmembrane glycoprotein has been widely evaluated as a target antigen, owing to high expression levels of CD7 on malignant T cells. However, CD7 is also expressed on normal T cells, which induces fratricide in CD7 CAR T cells. A workaround is to use CRISPR Cas9 gene editing or other techniques to produce CD7 directed T cells that no longer express CD7. But these manipulations add considerable cost to the development process. In the present research article, Liu and colleagues used a novel approach to develop so-called naturally selected anti-CD7 CAR T-cells that require no additional genetic manipulation. Their article describes the lentiviral transduction of an anti-CD7 CAR into bulk T-cells. The CD7-directed CAR T-cells were allowed to emerge naturally in vitro. CD7 molecules on the CAR T-cell surfaces were not detectable by flow cytometry, although these cells continue to express CD7 mRNA and protein. According to Liu and colleagues, it's likely that the CD7 molecules are antigenetically masked or intracellularly sequestered, and thus these cells escape fratricidal toxic killing. The expanded, naturally selected CD7-directed CAR T-cells had a significantly larger CD8-positive memory subset in comparison to engineered CD7-negative cells. The naturally selected CAR T-cells also demonstrated anti-tumor activity in preclinical models, prompting researchers to proceed to a first in-human phase 1 clinical trial. This study included 14 patients with T-cell ALL and 6 with T-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma most of whom went on to receive allogeneic transplant. They ranged in age from 3 to 47 years, with a median age of 22. All had received at least two prior lines of therapy, with a median of 4.5, and all were considered CD7 positive. Naturally selected anti-CD7 CAR T-cells were manufactured from the patient's own blood in 18 cases, and from the blood of the allogeneic transplant donor in two cases. 
Each patient received a single infusion of the CAR T-cells at doses ranging from 0.5 to 2 times 10 to the 6th per kilogram, following lymphodepletion with fludarabine and cyclophosphamide. The median time to peak expansion of the anti-CD7 CAR T-cells was 19 days, with a range of 10 to 42 days. The median time of persistence was 95 days, with a range of 28 to 195 days. 19 of 20 patients achieved a minimal residual disease-negative complete remission in the bone marrow by post-infusion day 28. Out of 9 patients with extramedullary disease, 5 achieved extramedullary complete remission. The duration of remission was promising at a median follow-up of 142.5 days. Of 14 out of 20 patients who underwent a subsequent allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplant, there are no relapses as of this report. Of the six patients who did not undergo transplant, four remained progression-free at a median of 54 days. The anti-CD7 CAR T-cells were well-tolerated. Cytokine release syndrome was seen in 19 of 20 patients. Though 14 cases were grade 1, 4 were grade 2, and only 1 was grade 3. Cytopenias were common due to the combination of bridging chemotherapy, lymphodepletion, and CAR T-cell therapy. Two patients experienced sepsis between CAR T-cell infusion and transplantation. In a commentary, Paulina Vasquez of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and Maxime Mamonkin of Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, said that this research adds to mounting evidence that CD7 is a clinically effective CAR target for T-cell malignancies. Although longer observation time is needed and more patients should be studied, Vasquez and Mamonkin say that the preliminary results are excellent for these naturally selected anti-CD7 CAR T-cells. They added that the development of inherently fratricide-resistant CD7 CAR T-cells such as these might streamline the manufacturing process and be more cost-effective. That said, more research is required to determine the factors that impact selection and regulate the anti-leukemic potency of naturally selected anti-CD7 CAR T-cells. Two other clinical trials exploring similar approaches are ongoing. These studies should help establish the viability of CD7 as a prime target in T-cell malignancies, they said, and also contribute to identifying effective methods for fratricide evasion. Let's review the next research article, titled Combining Nilotinib and PDL1 Blockade Reverses CD4 Plus T Cell Dysfunction and Prevents Relapse in Acute B Cell Leukemia. The first author is Sean I. Tracy of the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. T cell exhaustion describes a state of dysfunction that can emerge in response to chronic infections or cancers. With continuous antigen exposure in an immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment, T-cell activation shifts toward an inhibitory exhausted state marked by loss of anti-tumor activity. By now, the characteristics and pathological impact of CD8-positive T-cell exhaustion has been well described. By contrast, the identification and role of CD4-positive T-cells with exhaustion properties has only more recently been elucidated, with a particular emphasis on hematologic malignancies. This includes the finding that CD4-positive T-cell exhaustion predicts relapse and poor survival in B-cell ALL patients across all clinical demographics. 
Given the relative dearth of knowledge regarding CD4-positive T-cell exhaustion, Tracy and co-authors utilized a murine model of Philadelphia chromosome-positive BALL and human bone marrow biopsy samples to unravel the functional deficits in these cells that contribute to poor leukemia outcomes. They also looked at whether immune checkpoint blockade with anti-PDL1 monoclonal antibodies could rescue exhausted CD4-positive T-cells, thus potentially preventing subsequent relapses. They found that in the murine model of BALL, phenotypic exhaustion of both CD4-positive and CD8-positive T-cells could be induced. Single-cell RNA sequencing identified a transcriptomic profile of the exhausted CD4-positive T-cells that included expression of PD-1, LAG-3, and TIM-3. In functional studies, these cells demonstrated loss of capacity for TNF synthesis, but no significant deficits in interferon gamma production. Investigators said this contrasted with the usual pattern of cytokine loss reported for exhausted CD8-positive T-cells. In the murine BALL model, exhaustion of CD4-positive cells was largely limited to a subset that provided important helper signals that optimize CD8-positive T-cell function and that mediate direct cytotoxicity with respect to leukemic blasts. The exhaustion of CD4-positive T-cells was tightly linked to chronic T-cell receptor stimulation rather than nonspecific effects of the murine leukemia microenvironment. They also investigated whether patients with BALL had similar findings. Single-cell RNA sequencing was performed on T-cells isolated from diagnostic bone marrow biopsy samples from five different patients. Looking at markers of phenotypic exhaustion, the investigators were able to identify a unique population of CD4-positive T-cells with a mixed helper and cytotoxic transcriptional program similar to those observed in the leukemic mice. Turning again to the murine BALL model, the defects were reversed to a great extent by adding a pdl one blocking monoclonal antibody combining with nilotinib, a tyrosine kinase inhibitor of BCR-ABL. This included reversal of transcriptional features of exhaustion and clonal expansion of leukemia-specific CD4-positive T-cells, which was associated with significantly prolonged survival of leukemic mice. While depletion of CD8-positive T-cells partly reduced protective effect of nilotinib and pdl one treatment, depletion of CD4-positive T-cells led to complete loss of protection, emphasizing the importance of CD4-positive cells in preventing relapse. Furthermore, sequencing analysis revealed that multiple subsets of CD4-positive T-cells had expanded during the development and treatment of leukemia in these mice, including those expressing transcripts related to both cytotoxicity and T-helper functions. A commentary on this research was provided by Ulrike Gerdeman and Francesca Alvarez Calderon of Boston Children's Hospital, who say that these findings add novel insights into the mechanisms by which CD4-positive T-cell exhaustion develops in Philadelphia-positive ALL. Generally, the transcriptional and functional profile of the CD4-positive cells in the mouse leukemia model and patient BALL samples resembles the terminally exhausted phenotype of CD8-positive T-cells. The findings also point toward the immunomodulating impact of PDL1 blockade combined with the BCR-ABL tyrosine kinase inhibitor, nilotinib, in this setting. Of note here, in contrast to CD8-positive terminally exhausted T-cells, the response to PDL1 blockade was associated with reversal of exhaustion and expansion of leukemia-specific CD4-positive T-cell clones. 
This highlights the need for further studies to elucidate the pathological impact of cell states, including phenotypically exhausted CD4-positive T-cells. The commentary authors conclude that the findings by Tracy et al. suggest that CD4-positive T-cell dysfunction plays a key role in leukemia relapse, which can be reversed by addition of immune checkpoint blockade. The findings support ongoing research on the use of PD-1 and PD-L1 checkpoint inhibitors in leukemias and point toward the need for further study of CD4-positive T-cell function in hematologic malignancies. The final article today is entitled Thrombolytic TPA-Induced Hemorrhagic Transformation of Ischemic Stroke is Mediated by PKC-Beta Phosphorylation of Occludin by Andrea Goncalves of the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor and colleagues. Acute ischemic stroke is a leading cause of death and disability, affecting more than 15 million individuals each year worldwide. Tissue Plasminogen Activator, or TPA, is the standard of care for thrombolytic therapy in patients with moderate to severe ischemic stroke. When administered quickly in patients with acute ischemic stroke, TPA can restore blood flow to affected brain regions, thereby improving functional outcomes. However, the use of TPA is associated with hemorrhagic conversion of an ischemic stroke, which presents as intracranial hemorrhage, and this risk increases with time after stroke onset. Ultimately, less than 10% of patients with acute ischemic stroke receive TPA treatment, but the pool of patients meeting inclusion criteria for fibrinolysis might be increased if the associated risk of intracranial hemorrhage could be mitigated. Toward that end, authors of the present research article looked at phosphorylation of the tight junction protein occludin in endothelial cells, which helps maintain the blood-brain barrier in vessels of the central nervous system. Previous studies had demonstrated that phosphorylation of occludin by PKC-beta regulates increased vascular permeability induced by vascular endothelial growth factor. Phosphorylation of occludin leads to its ubiquitination and subsequent trafficking to the cytoplasm for degradation. In addition, it was known that TPA induces increased vessel permeability through activation of platelet-derived growth factor C. In this report, the authors tested the hypothesis that TPA-induced signaling of PDGF during ischemic stroke results in PKC-beta-mediated phosphorylation of occludin in endothelial cells and might be linked to subsequent hemorrhage. The authors demonstrate that phosphorylation of occludin can be induced by TPA in a mouse model of ischemic stroke that involved occlusion of the middle cerebral artery, or MCA. Brain endothelial cells in wild-type but not TPA knockout mice had increased phosphorylation of occludin following ischemic insult. Furthermore, injection of exogenous TPA into the intraventricular space of the brain significantly increased occludin phosphorylation as compared to control injection. The investigators next showed that phosphorylation of occludin in endothelial cells was necessary to increase the blood-brain barrier permeability. In mice with a mutant form of occludin that could not be phosphorylated, vascular permeability did not increase following intraventricular TPA administration. And at 24 hours after MCA occlusion, wild-type mice had increased permeability as compared to the mutant occludin mice. Importantly, the investigators went on to demonstrate that blocking of occludin phosphorylation by either expression of the mutant occludin or by pre-treating mice with an inhibitor of PKC-beta prior to stroke induction reduced permeability, improving infarct volume, and functional outcomes. 
Furthermore, the mutant occluding mice had reduced intracranial hemorrhage compared to wild-type mice when treated with TPA five hours after stroke induction. Finally, they examined whether blocking occluding phosphorylation with the PKC-beta inhibitor after MCA occlusion could then reduce delayed intracranial hemorrhage when mice were treated with TPA five hours after stroke induction. These mice had lower rates of intracranial hemorrhage, which were not significantly different from mice not receiving TPA. Thus, inhibiting PKC-beta after an ischemic event may prevent stroke-induced hemorrhagic transformation associated with delayed TPA treatment. The authors suggest that it might be possible to repurpose previously developed PKC-beta inhibitors to extend the window for thrombolytic therapy in stroke. In a commentary, Shahid M. Nimji of the Ohio State University Medical Center in Columbus said that these results clearly demonstrate how targeting occluding phosphorylation in the endothelium of the cerebrovasculature reduces risk of TPA-associated intracranial hemorrhage. Nimji notes that clinicians have known about the risk of intracranial hemorrhage as a complication of TPA since its approval by the FDA in 1996 to treat patients with acute ischemic stroke. In this new work, the authors have thoughtfully addressed the issue of hemorrhagic conversion by providing mechanistic insights regarding the impact of stroke and TPA on blood-brain barrier permeability. By proposing a target to potentially reduce morbidity and mortality, Nimji added, the authors have set the stage for further research that one day could allow for more patients to receive TPA, the only drug approved by the FDA to treat this debilitating condition. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.